Most gracious, merciful, heavenly Father, you sent your Holy Spirit to enkindle the zeal of Jesus' followers who were waiting in Jerusalem for his promised gift. Today, as we celebrate the day of Pentecost, we pray that you will pour out the same inspiration on your people, your church, throughout the world. Revive the power of the gospel in our hearts and enable your church to spread the good news of salvation so that all nations may hear it and they welcome it into their own lives. God, as we seek a revival and as we seek renewed spirit in your church, Lord, we also pray that you will renew our biblical call to fight against sinful injustices that are committed against others. Grant us the grace to fearlessly contend against evil and to make no peace with oppression. Help us to use our freedom and the maintenance of justice to the glory of your holy name. And all this we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My sermon is going to be a little bit different today. It was, I've constructed it a little bit differently than I, than I generally do. And, I, and I'll tell you about that, or, or tell, tell you a little bit about that here in a couple seconds, a couple minutes. At the beginning of each week, I generally send an email newsletter out. Uh, mostly, most of the time I try to get it out on Mondays. And that goes out to all of our church members and all of our, all of our friends, those who, uh, those who I happen to have email addresses for anyway. And in those letters, most of the time, generally, 90% of the time anyway, I will include at the conclusion of, uh, of that newsletter whatever scripture I am planning on preaching on the following Sunday. And most of the time I do that, and I, and I do that to give folks, of course, an opportunity to, uh, to, uh, to dive into that scripture. So we're going we're gonna to know what the preacher is going to be preaching on, and, and I can look at it, and I can study it a little bit if I want to. Um, this week, I originally planned on preaching out of a passage out of the uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And that's where the Apostle Paul, you know, as we celebrate Pentecost today, as we celebrate, again, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, this is a, por a portion in, uh, in, in the book of 1 Corinthians where, the, where uh, Paul talks about some of the various spiritual gifts that are given to us by the Holy Spirit. And that's what I had planned on talking about because I love talking about the Holy Spirit. We've actually discussed the Holy Spirit, I believe, the last two or three weeks or so to some degree. And you guys know whether you viewed those, those, uh, those particular online sermons or whether you're a member or a regular attender at Broxton, that I love talking about the Holy Spirit. Especially, especially, I can't imagine, there is no other better time than Pentecost Sunday than to preach on the Holy Spirit. And that's what I had full intentions of doing today. Because I wanted to talk about the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit grants us, the spiritual gifts that, that, that the Holy Spirit empowers us with to go out and to preach the gospel, to live the gospel, to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and, and he mentions in these particular passages some, 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 some extraordinary, extraordinary gifts. And it's, it's, just, it's just it's beautiful scripture to talk about. And there is absolutely, again, Nothing in general that I would love to talk to you guys more about on Pentecost Sunday than the Holy Spirit. However, as God has done with me on several occasions, a new message was placed on my heart later this week, towards the end of this week. And I could tell you a really cool story about how all this happened and how it all played out and how God changed my mind because it really is a, a cool and astounding uh, story. In the interest of time, though, I'll, uh, I'll save that for another, 
for another time maybe. Maybe you can ask me about it in person. But the thing that you need to know about this as to why I changed my mind and why I'm preaching on, a, on, on some subject matter that really I'd rather not preach on at this time, or that at least that I would prefer to preach at another time, given today is Pentecost Sunday. God's timing never ceases to amaze me. And this is a perfect example of it. The way that this decision was made, the way that my decision was made to preach on an entirely different subject that I had no, no, uh, no desire to preach on. The way God works, and the way God worked with me this week in, in pushing me in that direction, I believe, is absolutely astounding. And it's a perfect example of, of how God's timing is truly, truly never ceases to amaze me. Because this is not an easy sermon to preach, and I, and I have preached a number of these. Uh, this is not an easy sermon, it's, uh, but it's one that has to be preached. It's one that really needs to be preached more. It's a message that really needs to be heard more. Because we're experiencing some things right now in our local communities that are very much related to how we respond as Christ's body. How do we respond to certain situations that are going on within our communities as those who are representative of Jesus Christ. We've talked about that during the pandemic some, especially in the early weeks. We talked about how the church is called to respond in these, in, in these, in these times of, of uncertainty and, and, uh, and, uh, and fear and worry and that type of thing. And, and we discussed that. But there's some other things that are also going on. There's, there's always a theological application to whatever is going on in our lives. There's always a theological application to whatever is going on in our communities, whether it's a social problem, whether it's a personal problem, there is always, always, always a theological and a biblical, a scriptural application. So we discussed those things regarding the pandemic and how we respond, but there's other things going on. There's some big things going on right now. There's some big things going on in the United States. There's some big things going on in the state of Georgia. There's some big things going on right here in our local communities. And we are experiencing these things. We are experiencing these things directly. In particular, specifically, what I'm talking about right now is that we are in an unprecedented time of racial tension. We are in an unprecedented time in racial tensions in our communities, in our states, and in our country right now. Probably to a degree that I have never seen in my lifetime. Many of you watching today, many, many people who are members of, of our congregation here at Broxton are, are, are a good deal older than I am. And they probably do remember some of them. And they do, I know. <laughs> they do remember these, these, these really, really racially charged times in our, in, our, in our country's history. In my lifetime, however, I've never experienced a more unprecedented time of racial tension that I can remember anyway. We have seen these tensions played out on a national level, just as close to us as Brunswick, Georgia. Following the shooting death of Ahmaud Arbery, people are rioting in Minneapolis, Minnesota today, and other parts of the country in their response to the ruthless killing of a gentleman by the name of George Floyd. Arbery and Floyd, as we know, were both African-American men and both were unarmed at the time of their murders. Were these killings racially motivated? That's the big question 
And that's the question that we're all talking about. That's the question that we're that we all want to know. We all want answers to. Whatever our position happens to be, were these killings racially motivated? Some would argue yes. Some would argue no, emphatically. The fact of the matter is, it is very, very difficult for us to judge another person's heart. It is very hard to determine people's motives, and it is, it is very hard a lot of times, and we will never know why people do some of the things that they do. We will never know why people do some of the things that they do. We will never know, following these horrible, horrible instances, what was the motive? What was, the, what was in this individual's heart at the time that committed these heinous acts or, or, or a myriad of heinous acts that, come, that can come to mind? We'll never know the motivation for what leads people to commit inhumane violence against another human being. Regardless of the motivation of these acts, however, racial tensions are overflowing. And we can feel it. We can feel it in the air in our local communities. We see it on our televisions. We see it in our social media feeds. Oppression is being exposed and gross injustices are being brought to light to us in real time. I'm going to say that again. Oppression is being exposed and gross injustices are being brought to light in real time. We talked about today being Pentecost Sunday. And it, of course, is the day that we remember the Holy Spirit exploding onto the scene when he filled those early Christ followers with his presence and he empowered them to live gospel-centered, Jesus-centered lives. It's a day when we recall the birth of Christ's church, a church that the, body, that the book of Acts tells us in chapter 4 were of one heart and mind. It was a body of believers that shared all their possessions so that nobody was in need. It was a church where the basic Christian idea of dignity and equality for all was the standard and not the exception. We need to remember this, folks. This isn't some crazy far-out doctrine. This is Christianity 101. The dignity and the equality of every human being created in the image of God. That is the standard for us as followers, as disciples of Jesus Christ. That is our standard. That is not the exception. Unfortunately, unfortunately, there is a tendency sometimes for it to be the other way around. There's a tendency sometimes for it to be the exception and not the standard. And that is not, that is not the spirit of Jesus Christ. As we remember today the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and as we pray for the continued renewal and revival of Christ's church, Something we do talk about a lot. Something, of course, we want to see. We want to see. We want to see Jesus's church renewed. We want to see people revived. We want to see people not only coming into relationship with Jesus Christ, but also enhancing their relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what we talk about when we talk about renewal and we talk about revival. And we pray for that. We pray for the continued renewal. We pray for the continued revival of Christ's church. But today, church, today. Let us also seek another 
revival. And that is my primary message to you today. Let us seek at this, on this day of Pentecost, on this Pentecost Sunday, as we seek renewed hearts, as we seek renewed commitments to Jesus Christ, let us seek another type of revival. And that is a renewed knowledge of our biblical call to seek justice and to seek rec reconciliation, to call out oppression, and to take the steps necessary to identify and fight against the forces of oppression and evil. Let us seek that kind of revival as well, because that is our Christian call. That is our scriptural call. That is our biblical call as the body of Christ, as people who proclaim to be disciples of our Lord Jesus. Let's seek that kind of revival, to seek justice, to seek reconciliation, to call out oppression, and to take the steps necessary to identify and to fight against oppression and all forms of evil. As one organization put it earlier this week in something that I read, we cannot place our cultural preferences, our partisan interests, and our false race narratives ahead of the Christian justice imperative. Our social action doesn't save us, but it serves as an indication of what is written in our hearts. What a powerful, powerful statement. What a powerful, powerful statement. I'm going to repeat that again to you one more time. In this time, in this place, we cannot place our cultural preferences, our partisan differences, and our flawed or our bad narratives about race, our bad beliefs about race ahead. We can't place these things ahead of our undeniable Christian justice imperative. Our social action doesn't save us, but it certainly serves as an indication of what is written on our hearts. It serves as an indication to what is written in our hearts. Some of our best examples of our scriptural call to justice and to justice for the oppressed and for the marginalized, you can find these examples throughout the Bible, but some of the best examples we're going to find in the writings of the Old Testament prophets. And they're everywhere. Micah, the book of Micah, verse 8 in the New Revised Standard Translation states this. And it, he writes, He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Amos, who is sometimes referred to as the social justice prophet, he tells us in no uncertain terms how God feels about our pretentious worship of him while we either commit injustices or we turn a blind eye to the plight of others. No uncertain terms how God feels about our pretentious worship when we either still commit injustices or we turn a blind, a, a blind eye to the plight of others. Amos writes, Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your hearts. Harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness 
like an ever-flowing stream. Amos writes this in the fifth chapter of his book, verses 23 and 24. Once again, take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Let's take a look at the prophet Ezekiel. My Broxton congregation has heard me tell this story before. So you guys are gonna get it, you guys are gonna get a double shot of it. But anyway, here we go. Many of you, I'm gonna assume most of you who are probably watching today are very familiar with the story of the destruction of the city of Sodom. Most of you are pretty well, I'm sure, familiar with that with that story from the book of Genesis. It's a very, very graphic story, and most of the time you're gonna hear it used to name and identify certain sexual sins, and they're gonna use those, and we use those sins to point to as God's reasons for destroying that city. So that's what we generally think about when we hear about the story of Sodom and the, and the destruction of Sodom. We hear about the sexual sins that are, that are associated with it, and, and we hear that these are, these, these are primarily, or these are why God destroyed this city. That was his motive. And while these sins may very well have been part of God's motive, the book of Genesis does not specifically say that. I'm not saying they weren't. They probably were. But the book of Genesis never says that. The book of Genesis never gives us God's motive directly for the destruction of that city. He's got some things to say about it. This is going on and that's going on. He's got some specific things to say about it, but we don't actually read about God's motive. Ezekiel, on the other hand, does. Ezekiel gives us that motive. Ezekiel 16 Verses 49 through 50 reads this. He says, This was the guilt, this was the this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but they did not aid the poor and the needy. They were haughty, and they did abominable things before me, and therefore I removed them when I saw it. Immoral sexuality may have been part of Sodom's problem. And I'm sure it was, but Ezekiel gives us an even bigger picture. Notice the wording here, and, it, and I encourage you to go back and read your Bibles on this one. Notice how the prophet Ezekiel words this. The Ezekiel scripture does not say, it doesn't accuse the inhabitants of Sodom of direct oppression. In the way that it's worded, Ezekiel here does not accuse the inhabitants of Sodom of direct oppression to these people. But they are accused of turning a blind eye to the most vulnerable. They're accused of turning a blind eye and refusing to speak up when they had all the means and all the resources at their disposal to do so. That should make us cringe, church. That should make us cringe. It makes me cringe. It's my contention today that we have turned a blind eye to many of these issues that we are experiencing long enough. We've turned a blind eye to the reality of racism in our communities, and we have even turned a blind eye to the reality of racism within our churches. We've turned blind eyes to injustices that occur all around us, and we've turned blind eyes to the continued oppression of all kinds of individuals, all kinds of groups, who are on the margins of society, who are unable to speak up for themselves, much less take any action.
Call it what you want to call it, church. But our inaction in these matters is nothing less than sin. Our inaction in these matters is nothing less than sin. Need I remind us today that not only that not only those things that we do are in conflict, that are in conflict with God regarding the sin, but also those things that we don't do. Not only those things that we do that are in conflict with God are sin, but also the things that we fail to do when we know better. In the book of James, the author, who is traditionally considered to be the half-brother of Jesus, writes this, Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. James chapter 4, verse 17. And of course, Jesus himself has some things to say about these issues as well. The great civil rights activist and Baptist minister Martin Luther King Jr. once said, In the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Church, this sermon isn't so much about racism as it is about our silence in the face of it. It's about our silence and our unconcern in the face of oppression and in the face of blatant and gross injustice. I'm going to share this story with you. It's a personal story. In all honesty, I'd rather not share it with you. I don't want to share it with you because it's not a pretty story. And I think that it's a common occurrence, however, and I think that it will drive my point home. I have no idea, I have no, no, I have no doubt that God can, does, and will use my own poor judgment for his good. He's done it many, many times. But you see, I can remember as a very, very, very young man, my mom discussing with me the issue of race. She explained to me, and I couldn't be, have been very old, but I still remember this. She explained to me that we're all God's children. We're all people created in His image. She told me that we're all equal in the eyes of our Creator. And that we, that we, of course, being our family, did not speak or treat anyone differently, much less treat them cruelly, because they were racially or ethnically different from us. I was taught that at a young age. My mom, evidently, was a wonderful theologian. And that was the reason that I was brought up in. That's the ideals that I was brought up with. Very good ideals, very biblically solid, scripturally solid ideas. Even in elementary school, however, even around the age of eight years old, the same age as my son right now, I can remember children using racially charged words and using racially charged language when speaking to or about children of other races. Now this would have been in the mid-1980s. And as I've grown older, maybe the social openness of such language has decreased, but the sentiments still greatly remain. It may not be as blatant as it used to be, but it's still there. You see, I am a middle-class white man from South Georgia. Based on those factors, and based on those factors alone and nothing else, for some reason there are many occasions that I can recall in my adult life where others have felt comfortable in sharing racial jokes 
are usually are using racially charged language in my presence. I didn't ask for this. I didn't invite this. I was taught against this from a very, very, very young age. But I can only assume the fact that I am white, the fact that I'm from a rural area maybe, a middle class man, that for some reason there are certain people who feel comfortable using this language around me, telling these jokes around me. And it hasn't just been a one-time thing. This has been a thing that has, that has occurred throughout my lifetime. Based on gender and race, I have been privy to a number of conversations and a number of utterances that I wish I had never been privy to. Now, since becoming a minister, these incidents have decreased, but you might be surprised to know they have not completely disappeared. Perhaps even most disheartening to me at this point in my life is the knowledge that many of these comments, any of these, many of these racial, many of these jokes and conversations that I've heard over the years of my adult life have come from the mouths of Christians. So that's their sin. Here's my sin. Where I have sinned and fallen short in these cases has been my silence. Not saying something when I should have. Too often, my desire to be a peacekeeper has overridden my Christian responsibility to speak up in the face of racism, injustice, and all kinds of sinful and evil oppressive acts. Church, I've repented of these things, and I've asked God for His forgiveness, which I have no doubts I have received. But I cannot... I cannot, in good conscience, continue to be silent about these matters. If we're going to be faithful, if we're going to be authentic followers of Christ, none of us should feel comfortable any longer in the face of these issues. Today is Pentecost Sunday. As disciples of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has been poured out on us. The same spirit that enabled those early disciples to speak foreign languages that were unfamiliar to them resides in us today. That same spirit that provided or provoked 3,000 souls to trust in Jesus on that same day of Pentecost resides in us. And it is that same spirit that empowers us with spiritual gifts to serve God's kingdom, to serve our neighbor. And it is that same spirit that points to the holy and gives us strength to fulfill God's will. It gives us strength to fulfill, to fulfill God's will in all things. And that includes defending the oppressed and standing against injustices. The time has come. I believe God is revealing this to us. We've got to open our hearts, church. Open our hearts and open our Bibles. Because if the Bible is what most of us Protestants, most of us Catholics, most of the body of Christ say it is, and that is the written word, the written, revealed word of God, then we cannot deny any longer our call to speak up, to be active in the face of injustice, in the face of oppression, and in the face of racial tensions. May we be silent no more. Silent no more. 
for the glory of God and for the good of others. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, pray with me if you will. Merciful Heavenly Father, we stand before you today in, in humble repentance. God, forgive us of the times we've been silent. Forgive us for the times where we have known that people were hurting. Forgive us of the times that we have turned a blind eye to people who were in pain, to people who were being persecuted, to people who were being beaten, whether physically, emotionally. Forgive us, God. Turn us away and point us in your direction. God, make us people of justice, make us people of love, make us people of mercy. Give us the strength to speak and to speak to act, even when to do so may be unpopular. Give us hearts for Christ, give us hearts for love and for justice, that we may serve you, that we may love others, and that we may reveal your kingdom on earth. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you always.